Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, it cares Levert. It's cold. Levert. Back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday. Shot clock down to six. Finds one. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Corn Rose Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. We always want to hear from you and get your feedback. And of course, read us over indiecornrows.com. A lot of great stuff dropping now that the season is officially started. Uh, and you know, the, the best way that I think we can get the season started is, is being joined by the pod father of Indiana himself, <laughs> Dave Searle. Uh, Dave, how are you doing, man? Uh, I'm not sure if I'm 100% comfortable with that sticking. It's too late. Know. It's too late. I've already said it. So, you know. all right, whatever. You don't get you to know. choose your nicknames, they just happen. So, that's <laughs> where you're at. Oh, I got into a big fight back in my band days because they tried to give me this uh, the nickname the Squirrel, and I fought it really I would hard, also and they were really upset. Fight that as well, I yeah, know, so. right? And I was like, I can't like negotiate money with people and be like, oh, it's the Squirrel. You know, it's just it doesn't. I don't. Doesn't I'm not stick a stick for me. Yeah, no. I agree. So that was you know, it's a big. Uh, uh, to this day, still get teased by the fact that I refuse to accept that nickname. But um, you know, Podfather's better. Um, I will leave it at that. Um, yeah. It's not going in the bio. I'll just uh, well, I'll say that. So I'll, I'll force it in. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> uglier, uglier animals, squirrel or raccoons. I think they're deceptively cute. People think that they're cute. I don't think so oh. for either, honestly. Oh, um, <laughs> why am I so? Well, shame on me for being surprised. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't be. This was a hot, I think this was a hot ticket thing a couple of weeks ago. I got flamed for this, but I think squirrels are uglier. But raccoons scare me, man. Like raccoons straight up scare me. I was. I was cooking steak on a stone one day. Mm-hmm. I was like camping up in Canada. Um, and like, I mean, we just had like a flat stone cooking in a, in a fire the entire day. So that you could literally just like throw a ribeye on it. It cooks in like two minutes, cook the ribeye, take it off. And it's like probably like 11 o'clock at night or whatever. We did not schedule this out well. And then I like throw a second one on and then I turn back around to, to grab a, uh, <laughs> to grab like a spatula to, to flip the steak over this freaking raccoon steals the other ribeye and it's just standing on his hind legs with a ribeye <laughs> in his hands. And then I like yell at it and just runs off. And it's like, so ever since then, man, I've just been, uh, I have not been one with the raccoon, but well, I, are I, ugly, would, so. I would just say that I can't defend them ethically, but I do think their raccoons are cute. They're fine. They're, they're, <laughs> they're better than, they're better than squirrels, man. So another story, squirrels, uh, I think Michigan state, when I was there, had 55,000 students, if you include graduates, um, I mean, post-grad students. And I think there were more squirrels on campus than people like mm-hmm. that. And they just don't care. Like they will come right up to you and beg for food and like just do all this stuff. Cause they're so naturalized to it. And the closer you get to a squirrel, I think the uglier it gets, man. Like it's faces <laughs> are just like gross. It's hard. But, it's hard. To get, it's hard to get close to a squirrel. I've, I've pet one before. And it's, whoa, it's, it's, that it's, is, it, I, I'm very, I'm not a rodent person. So uh, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot yeah. of work to, to get, to gain enough trust of a squirrel for them to be able to give you a little pat on the head. I can imagine I've been bitten by many hamsters in my day. So I've never, <laughs> I've never tried to try to go after any bigger rodents, but you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, we should probably talk about basketball. Now the Indiana Pacers played their first game yesterday in Charlotte against the Charlotte Hornets and started the Rick Carlisle era off with a loss. 
Um, I will say automatically uh, to one of the better seasons that the Pacers have had regular season wise um, under Nate McMillan started with three straight losses and that was two years ago. So, you know, take it for what it's worth. It was a big gut punch yesterday though. I kind of, I feel bad because I, I, I mentioned on my preview with Tom the other day, gosh, I hope that this isn't like that game in 2019 when the Pacers blew a 30-point <laughs> lead and lost. And, well, that it wasn't 30 points, but it was close yesterday. <laughs> so they did blow it and lose. Uh, I guess the first thing that we can hit on with this, I mean, uh, let's let's take what, – what is, what is your biggest takeaway from this game? I know you put out last night that there was some good and bad in it. Um, one very big notable thing that came out of it, and that, that's probably what we'll talk about first. But – yeah, where are you at coming out of this, man? Well, I mean, first things first, that was to me, that was that was a fun game. It sucks that they lost. It was a fun game. It, it was, was a really enjoyable game, game to watch. And I'm definitely at the point, and I, I think I diverge from a lot of fans where if I watch boring basketball and they win a title, okay, cool. I mean, that's fine with me. You know, if they're really good, and there has been a Pacers eras where they're like, the basketball's okay, but they're winning a lot, and that's yeah. one kind of fun. But like, if the games are enjoy, I mean, that's really I love basketball and I yeah. enjoy watching the game through the lens of, of a Pacers fan um, because that fandom adds an element to it. And it, and it's a bummer to lose. But the whole game, uh, except for the third quarter, of course, uh, was pretty third fun. And back, it, baby. There we go. Yeah, it was entertaining. It was entertaining. Third quarters are back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a it, it was entertaining to watch. So. Gets a gets a thumbs up for me on that. If we get games this entertaining for all eighty two, it'll be a pretty awesome season to watch. I mean, nothing's worse than watching a team that's bad and it's also boring. That's obviously the uh, the worst kind of thing. But obviously, you know, like the first half, everybody was freaking out. Hey, we got Rick Carlisle, and like, we got a this is working great. This is awesome. I couldn't help but feeling that like they are playing so fast and they are running around so much. And especially as it started to look like they were doing an eight-man rotation, I was like, can they do this for 48 minutes? And can they do this for 82 games? Seems like it might be a little – they need at least a deeper rotation to be able to figure that out. Um, It seems to me that with the final play, which I'm sure we'll talk about, um, being a holdover, essentially, um, and an eight-man rotation, it definitely seems like Carlisle's going with the approach of we have – I just got here. We just started the, you know, the preseason. Of course, they truncated the preseason, and this would have been a preseason game, but they made it a regular season game to space out the schedule, which I really support, and I think it's great. But it's kind of a – it seems like Carlisle had the mentality of, I can trust these eight guys. These guys – eight guys are up to speed, and we're just going to go with what we have, and as the season progresses, we're going to add more layers, and we're going to add more to the offense, and we're going to add more out-of-bounds plays but we're only going to go with the things that we know or we think are going to work best right now. Um, and so that's something that I'll be very curious to see as the season, prog- like not the season progresses, but the next couple of weeks go forward. How deep are they going to go into rotations or is he going to be like an eight man rotation guy? Um, I, I, I kind of doubt that a little bit, um, especially if they want to play as fast as they were. Uh, because, you know, if you look at that, the third quarter, which I'm sure is going to be another a big uh, point of focus, they just weren't really attacking very much. And, you know, it, it's a combination of Charlotte saying, hey, we're down. It's the first game of the season. We want to win this game. Let's go all in. Let's play a lot more aggressively in the passing lanes. Let's play a lot more aggressive on ball drives. Let's cut people off. Um, there are disadvantages and advantages to play in that way. 
Um, the disadvantage is that you should be draw, um, uh, committing a whole lot more fouls when you play that aggressively. Um, and you leave yourself a vulnerable to kind of dribble moves and, and, and backdoor cuts and all of that. Um, it took a long time for the Pacers to figure that part out. Um, the bummer of that is that this has happened over and over and over again. Uh, so the question is going to be with maybe a new coach, are they going to be able to figure this out? I was really encouraged to see that Malcolm Brogdon finally figured out if we attack all the way, um, it's going to uh, uh, be something that we need to do. Because in the in the first half of the game, Charlotte's playing maybe a little bit more passively, defensively, a little bit more, let's stay solid and react to what they're doing. In the third quarter, they said, we're going to jump out in the passing lanes. We're going to jump people. We're going to cut people off as soon as they start driving. Um, one way to break that is to just keep driving, keep pressing the advantage and make referees make tough calls. Um, and early on in that third quarter, you saw Malcolm Brogdon turn the corner, defenders right in front of his face, and he does like a little floater. Um, you know, they kept settling for the jumper when they were uh, when they were cut off. And it's just something that they got to get out of the habit of doing, especially with a lead. You know, it's kind of like the running game, I think. You know, if a defense is playing that aggressively, you got to press the advantage and try to draw fouls. Yes, you're going to miss a few more shots that way, maybe, but you're going to get to the line and you're going to get some easy calls. And if you're nursing a lead, that's the smart way to do it. It just took them way too long to figure that out. Um, and so the just question is just going to be, what's the root of that? It's not the first time we've seen the Pacers do that, but what's the root of that kind of mentality? Was it just them being tired? The fact that they had, um, but it just seems like it's the first game of the season. It was only one half of basketball. Yes, they played fast, but they shouldn't be so tired that they have to be able to settle for those jumpers. Um, we've just seen these Pacers squads not have guys that are really consistently able to get to the line. Um, and I think that they really needed that guy in that those third quarter moments uh, to be able to take advantage of how aggressive Charlotte was being on defense and um, didn't, seemed like they had it until Malcolm Brogdon decided to be that guy. So I hope that that, that new version of, of Malcolm has been kind of forging that fire a little bit because it started to work. You know, obviously, as you see, they played well um, um, into the fourth quarter when, he, when they finally started turning that on. But uh, um, that's a lot of thoughts that I had there on, on the game. But um, that, that's the thing that really jumped out to me uh, about that third quarter. And, you know, the optimist in me says – Hopefully this is lesson learned and they apply that to the rest of the games. And, you know, we'll find that as the season progresses. Yeah. So I have a lot of takeaways off that. I would agree with pretty much everything you said. And um, I think just hitting right away, first off uh, in, in post game, I mean, Rick talked about how he's uh, he didn't come in planning to run an eight man rotation. That's just how things went, which I thought was was interesting. Um, but I also think, you know, it came off as genuine that he's not planning on playing an eight-man rotation throughout the year, which, thank Christ, because we've done, been there, done that. <laughs> um, and I think it's interesting, too, because like you mentioned, it felt like sticking to what they know and wanting to win that game, but also like, okay, well, Jeremy Lamb was one of nine last night, and he wasn't doing anything defensively, to be blunt. So you're wondering, okay, why does Jeremy Lamb end up playing 24 minutes? Uh, that's definitely some of the factors in for me. but. Um, I'm interested. A quick note on that, because I noticed in the fourth quarter, like looking at the rotation, the five that the Pacers had there were exactly the five guys that were in the positive at that point. Yep. And so I would just keep an eye on that going forward. I don't know if that's something that they're going to be doing dogmatically um, or if that's something that they're going to be looking heavily at. I just, I did think it was interesting that they literally just threw the five out that were in the positive at that point. And all the guys that were on the negative were sitting. Yeah, that is kind of it. it 
It's interesting. I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, another thing I want to hit on too, uh, like you mentioned with the jumpers that came and went, Caitlin put out a great thread this morning showing the difference in the shot charts uh, in the first and second half. And like the second half, just no rim attempts in that third quarter. Um, obviously, Pacers finished with 13 points in that quarter. Uh, if, if you had to guess how many threes the team took last night and where it would rank last year in the regular season for the team, where would you put it? Well, I was looking at this. Um, oh, and damn, so, so you already caught me. Yeah, because you that's part of my brand is always the three-point volume watch. That's something yep. that I've kind of always done. Um, they were in the 40s, I think. They don't think they got into 47. the 47. 47, yeah. I think that, yeah. This is, yeah. Um, and that is a volume that would have, if it was an average – I think would have led the league by a few. Um, and so that's kind of where the NBA is at at this point. And then I, I assume that would be number one last year. I, I don't remember if they that did was, anything be more. There was a game number against two. Milwaukee where they took 48. Oh. That was a, a terrible game against Milwaukee. Um, <laughs> I just don't think like, I mean, all credit. I mean, first of all, let's just say I, I tweeted this out last night. I did not have Domas going four of six from the three point line on my bingo card. Right. Um, just to one of the positives for me, like I am not in the camp that Domas needs to take five or six threes a game. But if the shot's going to look like that, it's going to be that smooth, that comfortable for him, especially. Uh, I mean, he had the, the one step back that was contested. Yeah. It wasn't a full step back, but like that was like that is the best three he's ever hit with the with the Pacers. Yeah. Um, he had the first catch and shoot that was like no hesitation whatsoever. The release was pretty quick. He's never had a very fast release. I don't think it's ever going to be crazy fast or anything, but the, the stroke just looks good. Um, yeah, you know, I was, was kind of prepared. I was preparing the take of like, okay, it's early in the season. You get a op- you have completely fresh legs. If you get a wide open three, okay, you hit a couple. I mean, this is a thing that happens. There's always some guy who doesn't hit threes, and then he hits a couple in the first couple of games because he's just completely fresh. And then as the season goes along, you know, he gets a little bit more tired, gets worn down, and those things don't fall as much. But he's taking step backs. He was a couple of feet off the line, and he was open, and he was taking them, and he looked good. And so it was kind of like, okay, you know, it's – we it's a little been a long time, but you know he was kind of uh, 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 pigeonholed as a three point specialist in his rookie season. I mean that was kind of a why is uh, the Pacers you know having this as a major part of a Paul George trade? This is just like some three point specialist big. Who cares? So it is kind of interesting. It's it's not like it's foreign or completely out of the question that this has been yeah. part of his game. So um, the fact that in the second half he was still hitting them and he was hitting kind of more audacious um, audacious ones. Makes me a little bit more optimistic that this is something that might be part of his game long term. It doesn't have to be part of his game, as you said, but of course, with the way that he can wreck people inside, it's it's a really big deal if he can if he can consistently hit that shot. So, um, kind of trending a little bit closer to this might be for real than I would have in the first half. Just hit, seen him hit a couple open shots, but um, that's a definitely something to to, to keep an eye on uh, for the Pacers going forward because it would be a big deal. Yeah, no, exactly. I'm I'm right there with you. Um, it's just interesting too going off of that. Uh, I mean, like Domas talked about post game too that that's something he's been working on for his whole career and really worked on it this off season. Wants that to be part of his game. Um, but like you're mentioning too, it felt like uh, a lot of like they like the being tired definitely seemed to factor in, especially because uh, I'm curious what the rotation looks like if Miles doesn't pick up that third foul earlier in the second, because I think if that doesn't happen, maybe we do say, see Isaiah Jackson come in. Like I, that's one of the things I was wondering yesterday because Domas comes back in, has to finish out the second quarter and then plays the majority of the third. 
Um, I'm just curious, like what that factors in, because I do think like he didn't get going to the rim nearly as much in that second quarter. I mean, in the, in that, in that third quarter, because in the first two quarters, he was fantastic getting downhill and as a, as a roller, um, he was getting utilized a lot from the post and elbow. And it's not like it wasn't happening later on, but it was just a lot less of um, him getting traction going downhill. And not, not, that's not just because he was stepping out or taking jumpers or anything. That's yeah. being tired factors into that for sure. Um, it was actually kind of funny because my, my dad's a little bit more of a, a casual basketball person, but he walked by and I told him, I was like, oh, Domas has 22 and 13 minutes. He's like, oh, I wonder what he's going to finish with for the game. He seems to be a pretty fast starter, but then Peter's out towards the end. I was like, oh, well, I don't know if it's like, I fully agree with that, but there is some greenness to it. Like he does expend a lot of energy early in the games. Um, and then uh, it's not that he tails off or anything, but like just it's hard to keep that production up. Um, yeah. Where were you with how he was getting utilized yesterday, at least towards the back end of the game? Well, you know, I think that it is not a bad idea to say if we don't think that these two bigs are going to be able to uh, to cover people. And, you know, uh, Bridges was popping out and hitting threes. I mean, they didn't have an ability to go out there and block that. And he was uh, getting hot. I understand you got to put a body on there that can go out and make those uh, um, uh, contest those shots. That's what Jackson is for. That's what Reset is for. And I think that that is kind of interesting that, I mean, they basically went with Lamb in this role. And, and that's the thing that's a little bit head scratching. It makes yeah. sense the way that the Pacers roster is constructed. And I think that you'd have to talk to Miles Turner about this, but it's like, if I go out and play great basketball for, you know, 28 minutes, 32 minutes, and then for the last few uh, possessions, just for a defensive thing, just to make sure they're not popping out and hitting threes, we throw in that stretch four to kind of lock that down. Cool with me. You know, uh, I, I can see that sort of happening. It's just, it seemed like the wrong guy. I don't, I don't understand uh, what it is about, uh, you know, the, the options that the Pacers have on the roster for this that made them not want to put out the right guy. And so the hope is that Jackson is that dude, you know, that is able to uh, not only play minutes throughout the game um, and be kind of a sidekick uh, to either one of those centers when they start, you know, kind of uh, uh, staggering out the rotations, but saying, hey, you know, fourth quarter, we got to lock down uh, the stretch four. This is when uh, Jackson comes in or maybe when Brissett comes in. And so, I think that that makes it uh, a little bit difficult to uh, – maybe it's just a rookie thing. Maybe it's just that the trust isn't there yet. We know this about Carlisle. Um, it's really interesting that he got uh, Duarte as a rookie and the fact that he put him in the starting lineup uh, right away uh, seems kind of not a Rick Carlisle move historically. It's probably a little overstated how much he doesn't want to play young people, but uh, um, you know, having that young person right out, right away – I just think it's probably just sort of a trust thing at this point. He's got to do something in some drill. And then as soon as he's able to do that, then he'll finally put them in those situations. I think it would be kind of hard though, to say to a rookie, go out and be this uh, very important uh, defensive uh, fulcrum in the fourth quarter of a game in which they made this giant comeback and we have all this pressure on him. And maybe that was it too. It's just like, I'm just going with the veteran. Um, I think that might've been part of it as well. Yeah. Uh, but hopefully they start developing um, uh, that a little bit more earn the trust of the coach. Cause that's exactly why they drafted him. And that's exactly why they have, uh, they keep looking for players that fit that mold and they're looking for that option and the tool to have off the bench. Uh, they needed it um, and they didn't quite have it. Although you know, Jeremy, it must be said, Jeremy Lamb got a crucial strip. I mean, like he he, he had some he had some moments. You know, it's just yeah, it, you hope that he knocks down those open shots. Um, and yeah. he and he and Justin has struggled to be able to hit the open shots that they had, and that was a little bit of a factor. 
Um, really, Duarte was really the only one that was uh, hitting down those secondary open shots. Um, and uh, we, we haven't really talked much about Duarte, by the way. Yeah, Duarte. Well, one one thing I do want to say, though, just in talking about the rookies, it's just what's so weird about preseason is seeing the run that Isaiah Jackson got and then having, like, I, again, I don't want to be too critical or too, uh, you know, do, doom scrolling. I'm not doom scrolling from a fan, but, like, just, like, looking at it, like, I, I'm just confused. Like, okay, you're playing Isaiah Jackson, like, 15 to 20 minutes per game in the preseason and then nothing in, in opening night. It's just a little bit odd, especially with, you know, O'Shea's kind of weirdness with his role, too, in preseason, like, you got to get something out of there, but we'll see how it, how it evolves tomorrow. Well, yeah, um, you know, it, so I heard a lot of kind of basic commentators say it's weird that this is happening. It's weird that like, uh, uh, was it Tory Craig's, uh, initiating offense and all that. It's like, it's a preseason. Like this is when you do all this weird stuff and this is when yeah. you let the lookies go nuts. And like when the regular season starts, that gets yanked back a little bit. They, they rely on the things that they know they're going to work. And then they start, it's, this is the stuff that they're working on and this is stuff that they want to develop. And that's the way you should use the preseason. And so a lot of that stuff was wonky, but like wonky in a good way. It's like, try it then. You know, and don't try it in the third quarter of, of of the opening game. You know, but maybe a little bit of experimentation would have helped them a, a little bit there because uh, it didn't really exactly go very well. But uh, you know, it's um, not surprising to me to see all of that happen in the preseason that just completely disappear for the regular season. Uh, I think that was more of just a like a, a litmus test. Let's give this a shot, and then this, maybe this is something we can fold in the second half when the games really count. Yeah, definitely. Um, Got to slop them up, you know. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, we'll talk about Duarte, man. Duarte yeah. was was awesome yesterday. Um, yeah. I I have to go back and watch the defense. I thought the defense was solid from him. Again, yeah. like, we're, we're comparing him to, you know, he was largely playing in Jeremy Lamb's role, so that's not asking a ton. Um, but the, <laughs> the shooting was just, like, nuts. And he had some yeah. really good uh, finishes at the rim as well. Um I just thought, I mean, a hell of a game from him. I think, if I remember correctly, it was the best rookie scoring debut from a Pacer ever. Um, I think so. Yeah, and it was like to see him already out there closing a game was was kind of impressive. Uh, like, I know a lot of people keep throwing out the, like, you know, do, do a AARP out there and, like, you know, him being 24, like, yeah, he should be contributing like this. I don't think you can expect the guy to come in and contribute like that. Um, yeah. I do think he should be judged on a different skill than other rookies for sure. But like, this was a, just a hell of a game from him. Um, yeah. I mean, are people still saying that? I mean, he's going 27 points. Oh yeah. Points. It was all over Twitter yesterday. You scored 27 points on that, on, on that quality of shooting. I mean, that's just, that's all-star stuff. I mean, like, I'm not saying he's going to be an all-star. I'm just saying based on that debut and the based on the way that he played, I mean, he was, you know, making moves at all three levels. Uh, and, you know, he obviously, the, sh- the shot was pure, hit another buzzer beater. It's kind of cool to see him still be able to do that. His ability to kind of like ISO and hit threes is a little a little note on that. If Pacers kind of have light game struggles, I mean, is, how long is it going to be before they start structuring some, you know, uh, last second shots based on his ability uh, to kind of hit those shots? Uh, that'd be pretty cool. Screw all this uh, Bjorkman play, India play. Just give him the ball and let him shoot it. Um, you know, if that's the way it works out, it's, that's cool with me. But um, that quality of play that we saw, if that, I mean, if, obviously, if you if you duplicate that and stamp it throughout eighty two games, I mean, that's a that's a first team All NBA player. I mean, it's the, the, is he going to be that right off the bat? No, but 
you saw the quality of that play. It wasn't just hot shooting. I mean, he was playing really, yeah. really well. And, like, he wasn't locking people up. I didn't see any defensive moments that made me think, oh, my gosh, look at this guy. But, you know, he was solid all game. Obviously had um, uh, great shots and made a lot of great decisions on the pick and roll. Saw him make some aggressive moves to the basket and maybe not quite – having the the open opportunity that he thought but it was close and could have got some foul calls and i like the aggressiveness i didn't see any moment where he got a little bit too confused about his hot shooting or got too into the moment and started putting up bad stuff i don't remember one moment where i was just like there was maybe a moment or two like oh that was probably a little bit too much and maybe should have moved it in that scenario but never like oh geez this is bad or I can't remember a single moment watching him play where I thought, oh, that's a big rookie mistake that he that he made there. And then obviously he played really well. Um, we've yet to see him not shoot it great. So it's it's um, some indication that he might be someone that might be a genuine weapon as a shooter. Uh, we don't have any evidence that he isn't yet, which is very, very cool. It gives you um, hope that he can sustain this throughout a whole season. Obviously, he's going to have some bad shooting days, but... Man, it's the, but this is what I got to say. I was mowing the lawn yesterday and listening to your pod with uh, with Tony about hot takes and for the season. And the thing that I couldn't believe that either of you didn't say the best hot take you could have, the one that I think that might actually be pretty good and I'll be an amazing uh, prediction is Duarte for Rookie of the Year. I wait, 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 wait. Okay, I know, you, I know. You, this is what makes it a hot take. You saw the face, but here's that is, the deal. That is true. That is true. How I, many rookies? Yeah. How many rookies are starting right now? Oh, Evan Mobley. I think Evan Mobley's going to win more Rookie of the Year. Him or well, Cole, I mean, you never – but you never yeah. – okay, It but, is – I mean, hell, oh, man. You, no, that's a good point. Like, if Chris, you, you, were, you, if Chris started enough, I do think it's possible. Yeah. But – Well, he's – where's – Levert's out. Warren's out. When's Warren coming back? He's probably starting until yeah. Warren comes back. And then even when that happens, what are the odds that all three Pacers perimeter players are going to be uh, healthy the entire season? How many games are there going to be where one of them is out? And it looks like he's going to be the guy. He has the skill set that he can kind of go in. I mean, you, I don't know if they're going to make TJ the starting point guard on games when Bro, uh, Brogdon isn't available. I think there's a scenario where Levert's like the point guard and then uh, Duarte started and then they let TJ McConnell keep coming off the bench. We'll see what happens when that happens. But I think he's going to get a ton of minutes. And yeah. we've seen situations where where guys just got it from sheer minutes, you know, and um, uh, Tyrese Halliburton was just a guy that was ready to play right off of the uh, of the bat for the Kings, was a sixth man right away, got a ton of minutes, and he was in that rookie of the year conversation just basically on the merit of that he was playing very strong basketball and he got a ton of minutes. Uh, you know, Cade's already got an injury. Um, if players don't get enough minutes um, or they end up being injured and it slows them down for a little bit, you never know when that opportunity is going to open up. There's a guy on the Pacers roster that got rookie of the year basically because of the top guys in front of him ended up clearing out of the way and he got decent minutes and played really efficient basketball. That's how Malcolm Brogdon ended up getting a rookie of the year. So it's happened before. Uh, so that would be my Pacers hot take is that um, I could you know, see it. I don't. Yeah, I, I'm I mean, not saying that he's gonna. Be, I'm not I, saying he's gonna score like 25 and he's gonna 25 yeah. seven and five and he's gonna be like all NBA. Then that makes him rookie of the year. I'm just saying he could put up 16 and three and then end up uh, having really good shooting splits and because of injuries and such that ends up being something that um, ends up getting the rookie of the year award. You never know. I won't lie. I thought that last night. I did think about that last night. Uh, but I also think it's better for the team if he doesn't have to win rookie of the year. Um, so we'll see how sure. it plays out, but I'm interested, man. Uh, another thing that I wanted to hit on to uh, a big, like, I mean, the, well, actually two things. Number one, still speaking on Duarte, 
that second quarter stretch where they really blew open the lead, that was like the best shot making I think we've that I've felt the Pacers have had in a long time. Um, yeah. Even like going back to some of the years when they have been really good under Nate McMillan, uh, that just the spacing that they had, the the ability that they had to just kind of do whatever they wanted to Charlotte. Part of that was Charlotte's defense, but also it just felt like the shot making was that good. Um, the other thing, though, uh, Domas and Miles combined for 10 turnovers of the 16, and that's not necessarily a uh, a just a, a coincidence like. Both guys, uh, less on, on Domas. I think most of his turnovers were more on inbounds plays and whatnot. But uh, Miles really struggled as a trigger man last night, playing out of the poster on DHOs. Um, and I don't know if that's just because of funkiness coming into the new year. It's or trying to do new stuff, which it, it's weird because it's not really super different from what Miles and Domas were doing out of the post last year. But um, I mean, Miles is definitely doing a lot more with the ball in his hands this year, I think would be fair to say. But um, that was something automatically you can look at and say, okay, well, that I imagine will be cut down with, with, with more time on court. Um, but then it just brings up another interesting thing. Like, first of all, one of the things that I found interesting yesterday, and this kind of stuck from preseason too, but um, Malcolm and Miles were the first two guys out of the game, and they were doing more platooning of having him and um, Malcolm and Miles play with the bench unit um, and just sticking together for most of the game until that, uh, the sub pattern got messed up because of uh, of fouls. Um, what did you think about Miles not playing the majority of the fourth and just coming in at the end of the game? Uh, I don't like drumming up this crap, but also it just felt weird in some ways to see Tory Craig play like most of the fourth quarter and not have Miles out there at all. Um, and less about Tory Craig, more just like I understood having Tory Craig out there. They needed somebody to try and guard Gordon Hayward, and it didn't work super well but that was more Gordon Hayward being really damn good last night. But ultimately it does, does bring up questions for me for sure. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I thought that uh, um, a note there that Craig was doing a good job. Jordan just like he, I mean, I thought he kept him in check pretty well most of the game, but then just in that fourth quarter, Gordon Hayward was fantastic and a big reason for why they ended up winning. Yeah. And, and I think that that is, Interesting to note that, you know, Carlisle made that adjustment to what the Hornets were doing instead of trying to, like, dominate with the two bigs. And honestly, there were just some defensive moments where they made the the two bigs look a little silly um, in the yeah. third quarter. Well, that and, Miles Bridges three, like you mentioned, was great. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's they were hot. And they hit some shots, but part of it was that they were struggling defensively um, to match up with the smaller team. And so um, it kind of forces your hand a little bit there uh, when you see that and then you're tr- they keep going on that big run. You kind of forced to make an adjustment there. And, you know, obviously I, I would say that Domas is playing a little bit better than uh, Miles Turner at that point in the game. So seemed like a fairly easy decision to me. Um, you know, I, I, I don't um, – think it's unreasonable to say hey it's the first game of the season yeah there was a little bit of, of a rough stretch but just go with uh, the starters and go with uh, your strength there and see what happens maybe leave it for a little bit later in the season to be a little bit more reactionary but um it's not surprising at all to see me uh, see uh, that happen um and you know they need to be able to have that counter um and it just wasn't working in the third Honestly, and so yeah. if if it, if you put them together and it doesn't work, and you're trying to win a game, um, and especially if it's your coaching debut and you, and you just blew a whatever point lead it was, um, I can understand saying, 
you know, it's 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 nice to have those two guys, uh, but we're just going to go with one and try to see if we can pull out the uh, the end of this game. Um, and they, I thought they played well down the stretch um, in general. Um, I think that they could have played better a little bit, but I think that they played pretty well. So, um, you know, it's hard to argue with those results. And I think that was pretty justified with uh, the way that the third quarter had been going up to that point. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see it a lot going forward. I mean, like you said, with Craig, and Brissett and Jackson, they just kept trying to find someone that can fulfill that role. They don't keep adding guys like that without thinking that they're going to be able to put those guys um, out there for a lot of the game. And so um, uh, that bleeding into the fourth quarter and ending the game that way, I, I don't think is that much of a surprise. Uh, the only question to me is whether or not that's going to be standard operating procedure for the rest of the season or if that's going to be a case-by-case basis. Um, and uh, that's something to just uh, keep an eye on. Um, yeah. I, open question was that an adjustment or is that the plan it felt like it was an adjustment because like you mentioned and i think this is what what gets me so frustrated like a lot of people who it's not even just fans just people in general like look at that and be like oh this is why domas like is a bad defender and that's less on domas it's more like okay well you're asking him to play out of him and miles play out of position defensively and like that's just a hard thing to cover if you're not a forward or, or a wing, somebody who's like got the athletic profile to do that. That doesn't necessarily make him a bad defender. I thought, I mean, Domas had some solid moments in defense, especially playing as a solo five yesterday. He wasn't like a world stopper, but um, it's just he, the, the, the oddness of the fit, you know, like. Sorry, yeah, his, well, his struggles as a defensive five, I think are, are overstated. It's in comparison oh, yeah. to miles and it's, it's a philosophical difference of, do we have an elite rim protector versus uh, Domas? Um, I think that that, that dichotomy, when you talk about it, starts to exaggerate it and create a gulf that isn't quite there as much. He's not amazing by any means. Um, if I'm if I'm trying to add a rim protector to a team, I'm not trading for Domus Sabonis. Uh, but it isn't crazy. I mean, we've seen defensive centers that have absolutely no ability at the rim, let people go by very easily, just get completely destroyed. Domus isn't quite that bad. Um, just a point to say in general. I, I, yep. That's something that always bugs me a slight bit. But obviously, Miles Turner is significantly better and, and kind of makes him look a little bit bad uh, by comparison. But um, I... They would not be surprised if the Pacers' standard rotation is we're probably going to go with the stretch four defensively down the uh, the stretch. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see that at all. And I guess it just depends on the team, of course. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would definitely um, have thoughts if their if their idea was okay. <laughs> well, we're not going to play our two starters together to close the game. Like um, it just I don't know. We don't have to get into that. That's it's a whole thing. But I do. Do you, like, th- do you think that that's something that they that they can't do? It's not that I think that they can't do it, but I just think, uh, given just some stuff that that that's come out and the weirdness of it in general, I just don't know how viable that is. Um, from a personal standpoint, like I don't know that you can just straight up tell Miles Turner you're not you're not going to play the end of games like. Um, because it, I mean, and I, I, not that I think that you think this way, but I just, I know some people have thrown it out. And like, I remember when, um, the Indy star reported like over the summer, the idea of him had been moving to the bench had been thrown out and he like scoffed at that. And I honestly think he's right in doing that. Like, I, I know it's just not as simple as being like, Oh, it's a team game, you know, like blah, 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 this and that, like he's established himself as a starter in the NBA and one of the better players, especially defensively. Uh, so it's just hard to, to, to ask someone to do that, but regardless, it's, it's odd. Um, and talking about him though, his defense, especially like the first, first quarter and a half was tremendous. 
Uh, the rim protection was fantastic. It was really active, good out on the perimeter, um, just really good defending the pick and roll as well. Uh, the fouls were like more just kind of ticky tack. I felt like, I mean, what, like two of them were offensive fouls, right? Like one of them, most of them weren't even defensive. I can't remember off the top of my head right now, but, um, it wasn't like egregious, like, you know, 2016 miles fouling, right? <laughs> Never forget, right. dude. <laughs> it felt like he was getting <laughs> five fouls every game. That's, that's, that's just the part of the life of a young center for the most yeah. part, especially if you care about defense. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, man, uh, we haven't talked about Torrey Craig a lot. We we did mention his defense on Goran Hayward. I like the shoes. Very, he did have six shoes on. <laughs> One of my favorite, just like little random tidbits. Um, his passing was really good last night. Like he's not somebody. Obviously, you're not expecting him to pick apart a defense, but like kind of that Thad Young esque, like filling space and just moving the ball. Like was really good at that yesterday. Um, only finished with three assists, but again, it's more about like the connective stuff he was doing, and. Yeah he might have a case as like the second best post-entry passer on the team behind Miles. He had like three or four post-entry passes to Domas and Miles. I was like, oh, wow, okay. Like, I mean, credit to him. He played in, in Denver for a while, so it makes sense uh, playing alongside Jokic. But like, I was I was impressed with that. And I yeah. think that that's something we're going to see. Also, he clearly had the green light yesterday. He only took four shots. <laughs> it felt like he took more than that. It almost felt like every time he got the ball and there was like two inches of space, he was taking the shot. And I I, I don't mind that. Honestly, it's better than him being a hesitant shooter. But um, yeah, yeah, no, it was uh, it was a fun game from him yesterday. I thought he was yeah. solid. I thought so too. You know, it's like, it looks like a basketball player, you know? Like and the rebounding, look- the rebounding. Oh, we didn't even hit the three offensive rebounds, five defensive boards. Like um, he's... I, I didn't hit on this too much in, in any pods, but the Pacers were um, granted small sample size, but the Pacers were right around middle of the pack rebounding offensively and defensively in, in preseason. And I think a large reason for that is going to be having Torrey Craig on the team because he's, he's really good as a, I mean, he's like a 90th percentile offensive rebounder for somebody who's six foot seven and he's solid boxing out too. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not a defensive stop until you get the rebound, and obviously yep. that, that's important as well. And I thought that they got some tough rebounds, especially in the first half. I thought that was really impressive to, to kind of see. And, you know, Torrey Craig, it, it, you always are looking for those kind of guys that have the length to defend almost anybody, can make a shot, make a pass, you know, grab the rebound and do all the little things. And, like, it's so important for an NBA team to be able to have dudes like that in the rotation that you can rely on. So, uh Big, you know, thumbs up for the first game there. And um, hopefully he can kind of keep uh, being that guy for the Pacers going forward, uh, especially with how many injuries that they just seem to have. Doesn't seem like that's going away anytime soon. Uh, being able to have a dude that can plug into a whole bunch of different areas there, uh, whether probably not as a starter unless things get real desperate, but at least um, in bench units, he can kind of fill in a, a lot of different roles. And um We'll see his development as like kind of a defensive stopper, being able to go in and maybe slow people down a little bit. Um, you know, not necessarily going to be Kawhi out there, but you know, um, if if they're bleeding a little bit, um, having him go in and try to slow someone down. Um, a lot of positives out of that first game. So uh, you know, kudos to be able to to snag him and bring him in, into the rotation. Um, does create a little bit of a competition. I think that a lot of guys that the Pacers are kind of trying to developing that sort of overlap with him a little bit. But with the way that he played in the first game, it, it, I can at least see from that why they would want him on the squad. Yeah, most definitely, man. I'm right there with you. Um, well, I think that about wraps up for us, unless you want to hit on anything else. The only other thing I want to say, LaMelo Ball was freaking awesome yesterday, man. Uh, yeah. Like I thought was was probably the best player on court 
you know, early on in the game, I said it was Miles and Domas on Twitter. Uh, of course, people find that after and like, oh, well, LaMelo has something else. I'm like, well, okay, dude, I tweeted this in the second quarter. Like, you can see the timestamp. <laughs> but, um, no, man, he was so good. He was so good. The shot, like, I mean, there were so many questions about a shot coming into the league. It looks even smoother than it did last year. The feeder cleaned up. Some of the passes he made were fantastic. He was doing really quality stuff out of pick and roll as a scorer. Just, ah, uh, he's so fun to watch, man. I, I'm it's- like – this Hornets team is like easily one of my favorite teams to watch this year. It is. It remains very difficult to understand why the Warriors didn't take him. Yes, it does. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't have it, an answer on that one. Yeah, because he like he's a warrior. Like he's a Golden State Warrior. You watch the way that he plays. I mean, it's like he is exactly the kind of player that the Warriors would sign, and so it seems very hard to understand. What are you gonna do? Actually, yeah. it's good for the league that probably that, that, they'll, that they'll keep stacking talent, I suppose. But, um, you know, the, the Charlotte team, like I said, it was a really fun game to watch. I'm really very happy as a basketball fan, and that went for uh, for both teams. They they both played uh, very entertaining, strong basketball. Uh, that was good to see. Hopefully we get more of it, um, you know, as long as they're not playing the Orlando Magic. Hopefully they, they're having good times. Yeah. Actually, last thing, um, transition defense was terrible. <laughs> Part of that is uh, the Hornets being an extremely athletic team. Like, I think they're just about the most athletic team in the league. But the transition defense has got to clean up a lot. Um, you know, Rick mentioned that in, in post game, But, like, that was, that was abundantly clear early on in the game that that's got to be a difference moving forward. And that was a problem in the preseason, too. Yeah, that's like another ghost to Pacers past, you know. It's uh, yep. something that, that – obviously Rick Carlisle can't come in and, and fix everything right away and not saying that he's going to, we'll never see what's going to happen, but you know, we've, uh, we've definitely seen a few uh, ghosts of the past kind of haunt them in, um, in this game. And, um, uh, oh, we didn't, you know, we actually didn't take about, talk about the, the final play at all. Were you, were you, by the way, the last minute, were you cool with the two for one? Uh, I was okay with that. Um, it's not my favorite thing. I'm not, I'm personally like, and that I means part of why I'm not a coach, but I'd rather, Take it slow and ensure a basket. Do whatever is the safest thing to get you a. a, a, a but can you ensure a basket though? That's that's you can't the, the you can't ensure a basket. Yeah. But I think my thing is like I felt especially in the third quarter like the pace just felt rushed. Like everything we were doing felt rushed. The pace was almost just like too much for them. It felt like at times like they were rushing into things a lot. I've said rushed like four times, but like uh, I just don't like forcing yourself into something just because of the clock. Um, obviously I know the clock's important. It plays a part in how you're running your offense, but also I don't love just saying, okay, well, we need to get a shot up because percentages say it would help us. And and that is true. Like taking two shots is better than taking one most of the time, but also when it's that isolated of a circumstance, I'd just rather run something that I'm most comfortable with or that, that we think is going to get us a basket the best that, that fits in. But I was, I mean, largely I was fine with the two for one. Yeah, and you know it's it, it it seemed to also stem naturally from uh, Brogdon trying to be more aggressive when defense is going under. Um, yeah. He was a step back, uh, but he had plenty of space. Um, I feel comfortable with Brogdon from that range. That was part of it too. I just thought that was a quality shot. You know, he didn't run into it or rush into it. He kind of slow dribbled into it and then he planted a shot. Um, that's a shot that I'm in general okay with sprinkling oh, yeah, into I'm cool the game. With that. I just so. said in general, like I don't. No, I, I get like you. I get you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I mean, if it, it obviously if. If, if somebody sprints up the court and only has a kind of a hand sort of in his face and then ends up like chucking up a three, that's a whole different scenario that it just blends it. It's, I don't know what the mentality is going into it, but if it's, Hey, if you get a clean look 
in your Malcolm Brogdon, you're an awesome three-point shooter. We've seen you hit shots like this before. Take that shot. I'm cool with that. I mean, they could work uh, a whole the whole shot clock down, run several actions, and if he got a shot that clean, we'd be cool with it. So uh, the fact that he ended up getting that right away, uh, that was a factor in that happening. And hopefully they end up having time to uh, install a few more plays for the end of the game. I, I, what I didn't really understand about the, the, the final play, if they're going to run something like that, you know, Justin Holiday had a little bit of a seam. And, you know, they stayed home. So they they didn't go out and try to bump Justin Holiday, which is the I, the theory is they bump him when he runs off the curl and then he gets to turn and, and get straight to the rim. If you're not going to have the option of, okay, you're open and my guy's staying home, if I'm going to kind of pitch it to you, why is Justin Holiday the one inbounding that and why is he the one running it? You know, it kind of makes me think like Malcolm Brogdon's got enough size to do this. Why isn't he the one inbounding the ball? And if he ends up getting a step on Gordon Hayward and they don't end up shading him, he should call for the ball and they should get him the ball going to the rim. I don't understand. That's the one thing that I would say is I don't know why Justin Holiday is the inbounder there if they're not going to trust him to get the pass when he is the one that is um, that has the advantage there. Um, it's a fine play in general. You know, you let Domas uh, 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 get real close on a guy that he has a little bit of a strength advantage on, not a huge one, but, you know, get a decent shot off. I'm okay with that in general. That was just the one thing that I don't understand. Why use Justin Holiday as the inbounder if you're not going to trust him with the ball when he's the one that gets the advantage? Yeah, no, I like that. I think it's a good point. Like, I don't like just having Malcolm in the backcourt. Like, it was – I yeah. understood sort of like, okay, you maybe you're, you're using it as trying to – force the defense to think you're going to do something with Malcolm, but also something it co- felt very clear that it wasn't going to be like that. So it, yeah, if something, something cool can happen with that, if you have 10 seconds, yeah, if he has the opportunity, half, no. yeah, his, you know, the Ubre eventually figured it out and tried to be a factor in the play. If he had realized a little bit earlier that Malcolm's just chilling by the rim, I can go double somebody. I mean, that would have cut off any sort of path. I mean, Domus didn't seem very interested in passing the ball, yeah. but if he had been interested, you know, Ubre could be there to be able to snipe um, uh, that pass. And there just wasn't enough time for uh, Malcolm to recognize that and get to the rim. So that does also feel like something of like, we have this play. If we have 12 seconds, this is going to work great. We've got four seconds. Oh, well, we're going to go with it anyway. So I agree with you there. That also there was another part that that seemed a little bit of a head scratcher to me. Yeah. Um yeah, especially because although I mean, a chin scratcher, I'm actually scratching my chin. <laughs> Dave is scratching his chin; he's not lying. Um, well, yeah, man, I'm I'm hopeful that that we will see some more change ups with that. I, I I still remain like decently optimistic about the year. This is just one game, yeah. you know. But um, a, there's a lot. A there was a lot start. of good stuff. That, there's a lot yeah. of good stuff to get, take out of the game, and you know, like yeah. it's basketball stuff like that happens. The takeaway there: you hope that the that Mal- uh, Malcolm Brogdon and the rest of the team learn the lesson of press that advantage harder um, in those scenarios, but um, a lot of good takeaways. I agree. Yeah, most definitely, man. Uh, well, we will definitely, I, I'll have you back on sometime soon. We'll, we'll be talking throughout the year. Uh, this is obviously you can follow Dave Searle at Miller time pod on Twitter. Great follow. Great person. Dave, have a good rest of your day, man. To everyone listening. Thank you for listening. And most importantly, enjoy the rest of your day.